Amen. How are we doing, church? You guys look great this morning. The Spirit seems to be alive. Who's excited to open up God's Word and study it? Yeah, let's do it. I am so excited to preach this passage. It is literally one of my favorite texts in the entire Bible. And so we're going to be in Ephesians 2. But before we dive in, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is uh, experience new life, not only new life through baptism, but new life through new babies. And so once again, we've had another child. It seems like every other week we're having a new baby pop into our, our community. The Thatcher family has had another child. And so this is little Theodore Martin Thatcher, born last weekend. Colin, Samantha, they're actually in the life group that I'm in. Little Eden is thrilled, you can tell, to be a big sister. Uh, but no, they're, do- they're doing great. But here it is. We're talking about, one of the things we're talking about is this idea of blessing every home, right? That's what we've been, the whole series is all about. Well, this is a family, just so you know, that doesn't have any other family here. They've had some people that have come in town to help, but they're kind of doing this thing on their own. She's a stay-at-home mom. He's in the medical field. And so they don't have a whole lot of quote-unquote support. And so we actually have a meal train through our Southwest Facebook page. And if you would be willing to bless them in that way by providing a meal as they're adjusting to this new lifestyle, that would be absolutely huge. And so I want to encourage all of you guys, if you're able and willing, all that information is on our Facebook page. If you're not connected to us in that way, come by our Connection Center at the end of the service today, and we'll help give you instructions on how you can take a meal to them and bless them as they are in this new journey with a family of four. All right, let's dive into our text, which, like I said, happens to be one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. And in fact, many people consider this to be the single most important passage in the Bible. And so the big word that we're going to look at today is the word gospel, which means good news. And so this morning, I'm going to be sharing what I consider to be the best news in the world. I'm going to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But here it is. In order for us to really and fully understand and appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ, we've got to understand the whole gospel. Okay, And so we first have to really dive in and take a look and understand who we are. We've got to understand the bad news. And so we're not going to waste a whole lot of time this morning. We're going to dive right in, and we're going to start right there in verse 1, where it starts with the words, and you. And you. So let me ask you a question. Who's this passage this morning talking to? It's not a trick question. You, right? And so as we read these first three verses, what we're going to find is we're going to be tempted to think about our coworkers, we're going to think about our bosses, our neighbors, our friends, et cetera, et cetera. But understand, when we start reading this passage, this passage is actually about you. This passage is about me. And so in Ephesians 2.1, he goes on to say, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin." You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Church, let me remind us this morning that there really only is one category of people. We are all sinners. We are sinners separated from God. And listen, people oftentimes think of sin as bad actions that we do. They think about it as bad thoughts that we think, things like lying, things like cheating, things like stealing, hate, envy, lust, the list goes on and on. But in fact, if you look at verse 1 really closely this morning, one of the things that you'll notice is that sin is more than simply an action. Sin is actually a condition of the heart. You see, our actions are symptoms of our condition. Let me illustrate. You don't get the flu, if you will, because you have a fever, a cough, or a runny nose, right? Instead, you have a cough, you have a fever, and you have a runny nose. Why? Because you have the flu. 
You see, a fever, a cough, a runny nose, you can think about COVID, whatever it is, all of those are symptoms of the condition or the illness that you actually have. And so bringing it back to our text, key point, you can write it down this morning, what Paul is saying to us is this, we're not necessarily sinners because we sin. You see, we sin because we are sinners. The sins that we commit are symptoms of our sinful condition. We're all born with a sinful nature. Think about what the psalmist writes in Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. He says, surely I was sinful from birth, right? Sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. In other words, we don't have to be taught how to sin. It's something that comes natural to us. And if you're a parent in the room, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, can I get a witness, parents of the room? You got kids that are sinful? Anybody? Just me, all right? So just me. Listen, we don't have to teach our kids how to sin, right? Well, I'll be the first to admit, my little girl, Jillian, she's a little sinner. And I know that sounds horrible to say. And listen, some of you right now, you would sit there and you would think, man, that girl is wonderful. My grandparents, are, or her grandparents are in the room right now. And let me just tell you this. They think that she walks on water. Let me tell you, she does not walk on any kind of water. She drowns in that water. And listen, I love her to death, but the truth is she's a little sinner, and Hadley is going to start catching up soon. She's four months old now. She's on her way to that, and so she hasn't quite figured all that rebelliousness out quite yet, but I know it's coming. But let me, let me just tell you a little story. I asked Amber, I said, so what's some of the things that Jillian does when I'm not home? And she says, one of the things that she does, and I don't know if this is true with your kids, but it's certainly true with mine. She's like a little rabbit when we play. And what I mean by that is she's always jumping around, hopping around, dancing around, running around. She's always in motion. She's moving really, really fast. But all of a sudden, what will happen is Amber will get to a place where she's ready to go, and she gets to be in a hurry. And so Amber's like, Jillian, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hurry, 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 hurry. And she's trying to rush her. And what does Jillian do in that moment? That little rabbit turns into a tortoise. Right? And all of a sudden, she'll be coming down the hall. Hurry, Jillian, we got to go. Okay, mama. And it's just slow motion, and she knows she's doing it. She knows she's pushing our buttons because she's smiling, she's laughing, and she's just doing everything she can to get under our skin. And why does she do this? Is that something that we taught her? Well, no, not exactly. I mean, Amber would tell you that when we try to go, it takes me about five minutes to get out of the house because i got a lot of things to get. You guys know what I'm talking about. you got to have your keys, your wallet, your cell phone, your sunglasses, your snack, your drink. you got to get all your things. i got to go to the bathroom because I don't know when I'm going to go again. And so there's all these things i got to do. So maybe she learned that from me. But we don't go around and teaching her how to sin. She is just naturally a sinner. And I love her to death, but that's just the nature that she has. And I hate to tell you, the same is true for all of us in the room this morning. We all have a sinful Nature, and that's why Paul says in verse 1 that we are spiritually dead in our sin. Church, before God, we were dead. That's what we are. We were dead. Now, as bad as that sounds, I mean, a dead person, if you think about it, they can't do anything, can they? And so as bad as that sounds, the fact that we are dead, Paul's actually going to get into that even deeper as he looks in verses 2 and 3. And so let's read it all the way through. Here's what it says. It says, and you... We're dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's Paul getting at in these verses? What's he trying to show us this morning? 
I believe Paul is saying this. He's saying the problem is we've been following the wrong person. We've been focused on the wrong things. Rather than following the Lord and seeking his desires, we've been following, look at verse 2, the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? It's a reference to Satan himself. And we've been seeking our own personal desires instead of God's. You see, what happens is when we are in sin, we respond to Satan's guidance. And Satan's primary goal is to convince us that we don't need Jesus. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to convince us that we don't need Jesus. His aim is to discourage you. His aim is to distract you, to tempt you, and to point you towards the temporary pleasures of this world. And so instead of being concerned about what God wants, we follow his lead, Satan's lead, and become more concerned about what we want. We become more concerned about what our own personal desires are. I love what J.D. Greer says when he talks about this. He says, sin at its core is this. It says, I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. Write it down. I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what God wants me to do. And you can really see that in the word sin itself. Think about how the word sin is spelled. S-I-N. What's in the middle? I. That's the whole picture here. We want to do what we want to do. You want to be in the middle. You want to be the focus. You want to be the center of everything instead of God. And when this happens, when we follow the prince of the power of the air, when we do, when we, when we, when we follow the prince of the power of the air, what happens is when we follow the course of this world, we find ourselves separated from God. You see, because of the sin that is in our lives, because of our rebellion against God, because of the things that we do, the decisions that we make, the thoughts that we think, we find ourselves in a position where we are no different than the rest of mankind. What does verse 3 say? It says, we were one time guilty sinners who deserved the wrath of God. This is a pretty depressing sermon, isn't it? <laughs> if you think about it, it's pretty hard to hear. Now, let's pause for a second. Because I don't want to rush through this and breeze over this. I want us to really get into this, and I want us to feel this this morning. I want us to feel this reality. Do you understand the weight, church, of what we're talking about here? Like, do you understand the significance of what the Bible is telling us this morning? The Bible is saying this. Our sin against God deserves eternal separation from him. It calls us to the end of verse 3. It calls us children of wrath like the rest of mankind. To put it bluntly, because of our sin, we deserve hell, which is a real place where real people end up. This is some serious stuff. Church, we've got to take our sins seriously. We've got to understand the bad news. Like I said earlier, in order to fully understand the gospel, in order to really appreciate the good news of Jesus Christ, we've got to first understand the bad news. We've got to realize, church, what we're being saved from. You see, you'll never truly love the gospel. You'll never truly love Jesus the way that you can. You'll never be committed to sharing the gospel and blessing every home and literally trying to reach lost people until you first really understand the core of the bad news. We've got to understand the problem. And do you know what the problem is? problem is you. The problem is me. It's us. 
We are the problem. Our sin is the problem. And so one more time, I want you to hear it loud and clear. We are sinners. We are separated from God by our sin. We are dead. We are sons and daughters of disobedience. We are following the wrong person, Satan himself. We all deserve the wrath of God. And here's the biggest problem. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you can do to save yourselves. Now, that's a lot of bad news. And so if we were to close up our Bibles right now and head out these doors, we'd all be probably pretty depressed. We'd have a really low, low week. We'd probably feel helpless. And the reality is some of you might even be offended. Like, how dare you? I'm a snowflake, right? Some of you might be pretty offended right now. But you know what? I think that's exactly why Paul wrote this letter the way that he did. Follow me here. I think Paul wanted us to read verses 1, 2, and 3, and when we got to the end of verse 3, I think he wanted us to feel completely helpless. I think he wanted us to feel like there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, and the truth of the matter is, he was right. There was nothing we could do to save ourselves, but the good news is this, we don't have to save ourselves, do we? We don't have to save ourselves because here it is. When Ephesians 2.4 gets here, oh good. When Ephesians 2.4 gets here, all of a sudden we get this feeling of, oh, I am helpless, but I am not hopeless. You see, verse 4 is where the good news intercepts the bad news. It's where the light shines into the darkness. Look at the beginning of the verse 4. Two of my favorite words in the entire Bible underline these words this morning, but God. But God, that's it, but God. Just let the force of that hit you between the eyes this morning. But God, let that sink deep inside your souls this morning. John Stott calls these two words the two most significant words ever uttered in the English language. But God. Listen, you were dead in your sin. You were separated from God. You were helpless, but the good news is, you were not hopeless. Why? Because your hope wasn't going to come from inside of you. Your hope comes from a higher place. And so while we were dead in sin, God went to work through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were helpless, while we were sons of disobedience, while we were children of wrath, guess what it says? Christ died for us. Amen? Amen. Christ died for you, church. And so listen to me, no matter how bad or how dead you may think you are this morning, God is bigger and he is better and his cross overshadows any and whatever sin that you may have committed in the past. Jesus is greater than your sin, he is greater than your circumstances, but God. Amen? Come on, church. Amen. Let's keep reading. But God, being rich in mercy. What does rich mean? Rich means having more than enough. And so it's not as though God is going about diving out his mercy, hoping that one day he won't run out. That's not what it means. But God, being rich in mercy, means he has more than enough mercy for all of his children. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, church, may, he made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. Verse 6, and God raised us up, with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. My friends, Jesus lived the life we were supposed to live. 
And Jesus died the death that we were condemned to die so that we could become alive in Christ. He bore our sin in our place so that we didn't have to. Church, that is the message of the gospel. That right there is the good news of Jesus Christ. He's extending his mercy to all of us. Can I get a witness of someone that's experienced that? Amen. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, what does it say? That whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Church, just rejoice in that reality today. Just sit in that reality. Let that give you confidence in the way you live your Christian life. Let that give you courage to bless every home. Let that give you courage to share your faith with others. Let that give you boldness to be a light in this world. You have a Father who is in heaven who loves you more than anyone on this earth ever could. You have a Father in heaven who loved you so much, he sent his only Son on a rescue mission for you. He loves you that much, he was willing to sacrifice his one and all only son. Let's rejoice and praise God for that reality. Let's rejoice and praise God for that reality. Can we, can we rejoice it? What a reality it is to know that we have a kingdom father who loves us more than we could ever imagine. Just rejoice in that truth today. Now, as we move on, we're going to come to the final three verses for today, verses 8, 9, and 10. And what these are, are really a good summary of of the gospel message. That's what it is. It's a good summary of the gospel message. And so let's look at it starting in verse 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, in our culture, there's a lot of people who think this. They think, if I obey, then I'll be accepted. We call that self-righteousness or works-based righteousness. It's the idea that we can earn our right standing with God. It's the idea that we can earn our way into heaven. But church, the Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. The Bible teaches that because Christ obeyed, I am accepted, and because I'm accepted, therefore I will obey. You see, our salvation did not come through our own efforts. We did nothing to deserve our salvation we did nothing to earn our salvation. It is purely a free gift from God through his sovereign grace, and it is available to anyone who would accept it. So if you would accept that, you will receive that free gift. Now, I don't want to just make that claim and walk away this morning. And so I want to take a moment and actually prove this truth to you, because some of you may be in the room today, and you may have been all of your life thinking that I have to earn my way into heaven. And so I want to prove to you why you cannot earn your way into heaven. Hang a left in your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 23 for a minute. So go backwards to the third gospel, Luke chapter 23. And we're going to pick up the story, kind of leading us into Easter nicely. We're going to pick up the story of where Jesus is being put up on the cross. In Luke 23, Jesus had been tried, he had been convicted, and he's been put on the cross to be crucified. And while he's hanging there, he's actually going to have two conversations with the criminals on either side of him. And that's where I want to pick up our story in verse 39 as he's talking with the first criminal. He says this, chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed or was like, huh, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. In other words, the first criminal is saying, if you're truly the Messiah. 
if you're truly the Son of God, if you're the Savior of the world, then how could this be happening to you? How could this be happening to us? I want you to fix our situation, fix our problem, fix my problem. He's saying, I want you to fix my temporary issue. That's what the criminal on the cross is saying. Let's go to the next conversation, verse 40. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to death? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man has done, hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In other words, the second criminal realizes that he deserves this punishment for his actions. He's saying, I've spent a life in crime. This punishment is fair. But the difference between the first criminal and the second criminal is the second criminal sees Jesus for who he is. His eyes are opened up in that moment to the Messiah, and in that moment, he confesses his sins. He says, we deserve to die because of our, our crime, right? So he confesses his sin, and he surrenders his life to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And look at Jesus' response in verse 43. It says, and Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so church, if anyone in the Bible makes it into heaven, we are assured that that brother makes it into heaven. Amen? He's going to be there when we get there. Jesus said so. Jesus assures him on that day, he says, when you breathe your last breath on this earth, your next breath is going to be with me in paradise forever. And church, this is the story. This is how we know that we know that we know that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. Think about it for a minute. What could that criminal on that cross do for Jesus? There's no deal making on the cross. He doesn't say, all right, Jesus, from now on, for the rest of my life, I'm going to go to church. Bro, the rest of your life is like in two hours. You ain't going anywhere, right? Church ain't again until Sunday. Ain't going to work, right? This guy can't get baptized. He can't serve in a ministry. He can't attend a life group. He can't give to the church. He can't tell anybody else about Jesus. He can't do anything except the only thing that matters, be saved by grace through faith. It's the only thing that he can do. And that's how we know that we are saved by grace through faith. And so hear it again. It is by grace, church, by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, not by works, so that no one may boast. Now, all that said, I think it's pretty clear based on the text that we cannot earn our way into heaven. But now the question becomes, as we turn to verse 10, are good works important to Jesus at all? Like, should we be doing good works for kingdom work? And the answer is very simple. Absolutely, we should. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, for we are his workmanship, right? We don't work for our salvation. We work from our salvation. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so, should we do good works? Yes, and Amen. But those good works should be done as a result of the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Listen, we don't do good works for his acceptance, but from his acceptance. Not for his love, but out of his love. Think about breathing for a second. Think about inhaling and exhaling. When you breathe, both are pretty important, aren't they? I got to breathe in. I got to breathe out. Well, in a sense, that's the way faith and work operate. I breathe in. Faith is taking the breath in. I'm breathing in, I'm believing it, and what is works? I'm breathing the gospel out. You see, faith and works, they're both incredibly important, but let's make sure we get them in the right order. First, there's faith, then there's works. 
as a result of the faith that you have. Now, as we begin to wrap up this morning, I realize that we've talked about a lot of different things, and I've mentioned the word faith an awful lot, and so I want to kind of close this morning by just asking you a simple, simple, simple question. What is faith? At the core of it, what is it? We say you're saved by grace through faith. What is faith? Let me give you the easiest illustration I can think of. All of you right now, you're sitting in a chair. I don't see anybody standing, everybody sitting, all right? When you walked in here today, did you walk around the room and look at the chairs and say, well, I'm really worried about this thing, not sitting there. Now, I know some of you, you did not want to come to the front row no matter what, all right? That doesn't count, okay? But the reality is, you didn't walk around the room this morning inspecting every single chair, trying to figure out if it's going to hold you up or not. You all had complete trust that no matter what chair you sat in, it was not going to go down. You probably just walked up to it, bam, down you went. I don't know if you landed that hard or not, but... I might land that hard when I'm tired, especially after this message. We're going to land pretty hard. But all of you are sitting in your chair right now, and the reality is you just simply trust it. You don't think about it. You just trust it and sit down. Church, believing in Jesus is the same thing. It's the same idea. You see, when you believe in Jesus, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're putting your complete and total trust in him. You're falling into him, leaning into him. You don't worry about whether or not he'll let you down. You have confidence that he never will, never let you down. So my question this morning as we close is this, have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? Have you been saved by grace through faith? And listen, I'm not asking if you're doing stuff for him. I'm not asking if you've ever signed a card, prayed a prayer, walked an aisle in the past. I'm asking, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to the lordship of Jesus Christ? That's the question I want you to answer this morning. You know, maybe you're here this morning and you've been trying to impress Jesus by doing good works to earn your way into heaven. Let me be honest, it is not impressive. You need a savior, not a life coach. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you've gone too far. You've messed up too much and you feel like Jesus could never forgive me for what I've done. Church, that's a lie from the evil one. If Jesus could save that criminal on the cross from a life in crime, then surely he's powerful enough to save you. And so today I want to close by giving you the invitation, the same invitation that Jesus extended to that criminal on the cross. I want to offer you the free gift of eternal life that is found solely in faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And that offer is for anybody who would believe. And for anyone who believes in Jesus, no matter how good or how bad you think you are, if you believe in Jesus today, you will be adopted into the family of God. You'll go from being a son of disobedience and a child of wrath to being a son or daughter of the Most High God. Your sins will be washed away, and you'll have the assurance that one day, just like that thief on the cross, you will spend eternity in heaven with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, that's the Lord's offering to you today, and I'm urging you to accept it right now as we close in prayer. Let's all bow our heads, everybody praying. Father, Lord, you are good. We thank you for your word to us today. And Father, my question for all of us in the room this morning is simple. Have you discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you put your faith in him and him alone? Not by works, but simply by faith. Father, I pray right now that you would send your spirit into the hearts and into the minds of everyone in this room. And I pray that if someone here right now does not have a relationship with you,
that you will let them know that. And that your spirit will guide them and convict them and show them their need for Jesus right now. So, Father, we trust in your good work. So right now, if you would say, you know what, Pastor Allen, I don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or I'm not sure. I'm telling you, if you're not sure, then you probably don't have a relationship with him. And so you want to get that right this morning. And if you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, and you want to follow that up through baptism like the six people we saw this morning, then I just want you to simply pray this prayer in your mind to your Heavenly Father right now. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And this morning I've realized that I am dead in my sin and there is nothing I can do to save myself. But tell them that, you know what, Jesus? You are a Savior. And this morning I believe that. Tell them that you want to repent of your sin right now. In other words, you want to turn from your sin and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. church this morning, if you will believe that somehow when Jesus died on the cross, that counted for me, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Jesus, we thank you for those that have crossed over even right now from death to life. We thank you for those that crossed over previously and went through the waters of baptism this morning. But Father, I also recognize that we have a room full of folks who are believers And so this morning, my prayer is simply this. Would we take our faith seriously and would we really act on Ephesians 2.10? We are created in Christ to do good works which you already planned for us to walk in. And so may we do just what we've been talking about all series long. Would we bless our neighbors? Would we bless our coworkers? Would we share the good news of Jesus Christ and be confident in that because we have a Father who loves us in heaven and gives us that courage and confidence? And so equip the saints to do the work of the ministry this morning and allow us to walk in obedience. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we give you all the praise this morning. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.